Good morning. How are you today? I want to welcome you to the Orchard, whether you were here in the building, online, podcasting later this week, wherever you are. We are so glad that you are here. We're in the middle of our, ex- actually, we're still the beginning of our Exodus series. I don't know if you know this, Exodus is, is kind of a long book. We have some stuff to get to, and I'm just going to jump right in, okay? Moses. He was a Hebrew. He was raised as an Egyptian prince. For 40 years, he lived there in the Egyptian courts. But one day, he tried to rescue a Hebrew slave, killing the Egyptian slave master, burying the evidence. But Pharaoh found out, and Pharaoh wanted him dead. So he fled the the royal courts of Egypt to Midian in the wilderness. He married a woman. He had had some children. And he's a shepherd for his father-in-law. And for 40 years, that's what he's going to do. 40 years of tedious, menial work, when one day he sees a burning bush. Moses finds himself on holy ground, and here God himself begins to give Moses a calling. God says this, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, Moses, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. God had a plan to deliver his people. And his plan was through Moses. Moses is called by God to do something amazing. And yet for the next 22 verses, all he does is give excuse after excuse after excuse. God calls Moses and there's only one problem with it. Moses wants nothing to do with this. And in today's sermon, I found so much of myself. And my prayer today is that as you hear this, that you would see yourself in Moses and God's call in your life. Let's look at the five excuses of Moses. Number one, verse 11, chapter three. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? His first protest is, who am I? Now, why would this be Moses' first excuse? I want to give you some context as to why. I want to tell you why this would be his first excuse. Um, At this point, what do you think Moses thinks about himself and his life? He doesn't tell us. We know for 40 years he's been a shepherd. Do you know what Moses would have thought of this job of being a shepherd? Did you know we actually know what he probably thought about the job of being a shepherd because Genesis tells us. In Genesis 26, Joseph moves his entire family to Egypt. All the Hebrews, the tri- Jacob and all the other brothers and sons, he moves them to Egypt and he, te- he tells his brothers and he goes, hey, when you get to Pharaoh, tell them you're shepherds. And then it says this, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Where was uh, Moses raised? In the royal courts as an Egyptian. Shepherds are detestable to Egyptians. We wonder how he could have felt about this job. Moses has fallen so far in life, he has become the thing he hated. Every day would have been a reminder of how far he'd fallen. I mean, from Egyptian sheets to now wilderness sheep, you know, from gold to granite, from authority to complete obscurity sidelined in life, menial, tedious work. He had once thought he had a call and a purpose to rescue his people, but failure beyond failure, and then fleeing, and now shame. Who am I to lead? Do you see why he would have said this? Who am I to lead anyone? Moses fled Egypt, a murderer. In fact, when they would refer to Moses back in Egypt, they probably said, remember that prince who murdered That's who he is. That's how he's remembered. Pharaoh wants him dead. Can you see why Moses would have responded? 
who am I to go stand before Pharaoh? Me, the shepherd murderer? Let's keep going. He's now 80. Now he thinks he's kind of old. Life has passed him by. He wanted to save his people at one point, but he had failed in spectacular fashion. I mean, now here he is in exile. He likely assumed that he would be the last person to help anyone. The only thing he's rescuing these days is a sheep, okay? He couldn't even help himself these past 40 years. I mean, let's be honest. Moses, if we look at the trajectory of his life, he is damaged goods. He is used up, washed up. Moses thought his past disqualified him from anything in the future. He had failed. He had messed up too big. Moses had settled. For 40 years, he had done the same job. Moses had stopped dreaming. He probably assumed that he would do this job until he passed. He's washed up. He's a failure. He once had great courage and conviction to stand for his people and be a rescuer. But now, now he's just an older man with a menial mission, watching sheep in the wilderness alone. Life has brought Moses to a very low place, a place he couldn't depend on the authority he once had, a life he couldn't depend on the own strength he once had, a life where he can't depend on the resources of the royalty that he once possessed. He's lost it all. He he did not consider himself a rescuer. Who am I to lead the people? Who am I? Life brought Moses low, and yet we have to see something here. Here at his lowest point, that is when God comes to him with a calling. It seems that God often does his greatest work in us when we are perhaps at our lowest and weakest. It could be that in our weakness, we are best positioned for God to do something great. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul speaks about this. He's dealing with something that's making him weak, that's causing him pain, and he asks he asks God to take it away from him. And listen to God's response. My grace is all you need. My power works best in what? God's power works best in our weakness. Paul took this and went all in. He said, so now I boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. For when I am weak, I am strong. You know, perhaps we in this American culture have missed some things. Spiritually, the culture should be a little different. You know, in our American culture, we think the stronger, the better. We think the more independent, the better. But spiritually, what is the saying here? Paul is speaking about something that Moses is being schooled in. And I want to let you know a little something. Spiritual growth is simply this. Increased dependence on God. Spiritual maturity is seeing our weakness and depending on God's strength in it. Moses has failed. He's made a complete mess of his life. And that's when he was ready. Now, what about you? Where have you failed? Where do you feel like a failure? Maybe you've made a mess of your life in some areas. Maybe you understand Moses' statement, who am I? Like if someone came to you and said, hey, I want you to lead this new study or go do this new thing or or go have this calling from God. God comes to you and says, I want you to go to some people. And you would go, who am I to lead anything? Maybe you're currently in a lowly position, and if so, you're a person that God specializes in working greatness in and through. 
Maybe because of some circumstances, you feel marginalized in life. Then you're ready for God to do something of meaning and significance. Maybe you're feeling powerless in some areas of your life. That's when you're ready for a powerful purpose. Maybe like Moses, you have come to believe that your past defines you. Maybe like Moses, you have come to believe that your sins are keeping you from the good life ahead. And in fact, when we talk about God calling you, all that comes into your mind is a reminder of everything that, that you've done wrong. The file of sin that just comes out. Who am I to lead anyone if the people in here only knew? Maybe like Moses, you believe your past disqualifies you from God's purpose. Well, then you are positioned to see a future that God has for you ahead. Maybe like Moses, your shame continues to follow you wherever you go. That was Moses' reality. Then you are ready for the shame breaker to use you in a significant way in those places. Don't believe me? All we have to do is look at Moses. Moses is revered in the Bible because of all that God does in him and through him, and rightfully so. But we have to see that Moses was at one point despised, even by his own self. God's greatest work in the life of Moses came after his greatest failure and his greatest shame. And could it be, could it be that God's greatest work in your life will be in the place of your greatest failure? What if God's greatest work ahead for you is in the place of your greatest shame? I will tell you from personal experience, that has been true in my life. God calls Moses to a great purpose, and Moses' response is, who am I to do such a thing? Now we have to look at this. Was Moses unqualified? Yes, of course he does. He is. To go stand before Pharaoh and lead everybody out? I mean, Moses, the shepherd, go back to the throne of Pharaoh and stand before him and ask, let all your workforce slaves go? I mean, any of us on our best day are going to struggle with this. His question, who am I, is, is every human heart asks when God calls them. If God were to call you during prayer meeting or at home, there's a, you know, something's on fire and says, go to city market and lead people to Jesus. Who am I to go before the city market? Who am I to lead anyone? I think I'll stay right here. Do you, do you see Moses' heart and how it intersects with ours you see, when God calls us to do something, and he's going, he is, he has, and you're going to hear it again today, we have that bubbling up of doubt and shame and reminders of sin and all these things based on our sin, our weakness, our, our lack of knowledge. I just don't know enough. Our, our honest, our lack of desire, lack of faith, lack of belief. Who am I? Who am I, God, to go step into calling? And God's going to answer you the same way he answers Moses because the answer God gives Moses completely overcomes this who am I excuse. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. Moses is more or less saying, go back to Egypt, stand before the most powerful person on the planet and, and ask him to lead people out. I can't do this. And God's answer is this, you're right, you can't, but I can and I'll be with you. I will be with you is his answer to who am I? Meaning it's not in your power he's asking you to go, he's gonna be with you. 
You see, when God calls you to something and you think, I, I, I can't do that, you're right. But I can, he says, and I'm going to go with you. Now Moses' second excuse. But then Moses protested. <laughs> if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what's his name? What should I tell them? His first excuse is, who am I? Second, who are you? <laughs> it makes me wonder just how much of the Hebrew, um, how much they have forgotten in all the years of slavery about who their God is. Do they know their God? God's response in the next verse was the topic of my entire sermon last week. And so if you want a deep dive on the name of God, the sacred name of God, the covenant name, look last week. And here's what God says. He replies to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. Tell them that I am has sent you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name to remember for all generations. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's their forefathers, Moses. In other words, remind these people I'm their God. When they ask you who sent you, tell them their God has sent you to rescue them. Tell them my name. Ehye Asher Ehye. I am who I am. yod he vav you tell them that. I mean, what does this mean? What is this? I am. I am who I am. He, God is the eternal, unending, ever-present, all-powerful, all-knowing, self-existing God of the universe. He has no beginning. He has no end. And Moses wants to know who God is, and God says, I am the almighty. I am. And he will be whatever is needed to see his purposes accomplished. Moses is going to need many things in the pages to come. And the I am goes with him. Moses, I am your strength when you're weak. Moses, I am your courage when you're afraid. Moses, I am your voice when you don't want to speak. Moses, I am your source. I am your defender. I am your deliverer. Moses, I am the all-sufficient God for whatever life throws your way. And Orchard, the same I am that was with Moses is with you in Jesus. When you step into God's purposes, the I am is with you, empowering you, resourcing you. God continues his calling in verse 16. Now go, go to Egypt and call together the elders of Israel and tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me I have been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I promise to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Keep that in mind. Then the elders must go to the king. You and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has, sent me, sent, has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to our Lord, our God. Now notice this little teeny tidbit. God has a plan to release the entire nation for all time. But, he, what, but what he, from Egypt, and now, but he only gives them a little bit of tidbit. He only gives Moses just, just the start of it. You're to go to the elders, and then I'll go to Pharaoh and say, let us go on this three-day worship experience in the wilderness. 
It wasn't go stand before him and say, let my people go right away. It was, hey, can we go to summer camp for three days? We'll be back. (laughs) We're going to go worship three days into the wilderness. But then God goes ahead and tells him in verse 19, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. Moses, you're going to go there. The elders are going to accept your story. You're going to go before Pharaoh and it's going to fail. I mean, you can, can you imagine, again, put yourself in Moses' shoes. You're going to have this crazy calling to go in front of Pharaoh, and then God tells you it's not going to work out. But you have to go convince all the elders that, they, that, that, that you know, this is true. Moses protested again, ver, chapter 4, verse 1, and I love this. He goes, what if they don't believe me or listen to me, the elders? What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Now, God had already said they will accept your message. But Moses, put yourself in his shoes. Put your mind around this. You can see his mind working. Okay, okay. So God wants me to go back to Egypt where I was on the run as being a murderer. I get the elders. I get them in a room. And I tell them that the God of their ancestors appeared to me in a burning bush and wants us to go tell Pharaoh that we need to leave. Can you imagine the blank stares in that meeting? Can you imagine them like looking around, the elders? One of the elders says, Moses, are you sure it was just the bush that was burning out there? (laughs) Well, what else have you been smoking? (laughs) What if they don't believe me? The Lord said this. He goes, what's in your hand? A shepherd's staff. Throw it on the ground, the Lord told him. Moses threw it down, and it turned into a snake, and Moses jumped back. (laughs) The Lord said, reach out and grab it by its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it. It turned back into a staff in his hand. God says, perform this sign. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside of his cloak, and when he took it out again, it was white as snow with severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in. When he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, if they don't believe you and are not convinced by these two first miraculous signs, they will be convinced by the the first miraculous sign. They'll be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you, even after these two signs, then take some water from the river Nile and pour it out on the dry ground. And when you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. Now, God is just doing, he's just showing Moses a taste of the power of what the I am can do when he's with you. Like he's just giving him a little taste, these miraculous signs, a a staff that turns into a snake, a a hand that is healed. And and then this third sign that the river Nile turns into blood and which which gets me so excited. I can't wait till we get to the plagues. You never really hear that in church. I can't wait for the plagues. (laughs) Invite all your friends. Because we're going to see what, I can't get into it. Okay, we'll get there. I promise. It'll, we'll, all be, we'll all get through it. God shows Moses these miracles. And Moses, I mean, if you were there and, and you'd seen the staff turn into a snake in your hand and you heard all this and a bush is talking to you, you would be convinced. But Moses, you know, he finally has another excuse, number four. And this one is very personal. This is where we, this is where we find ourselves. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. 
Now, there has been so much discussion on what actually is going on here and what is it that Moses struggles with. Is he claiming to have a a legit speech impediment, a stutter or something? Is he saying that? Or maybe as I was telling my wife and she goes, oh, I like that one. She happens to be an introvert. I'm an extrovert. Maybe does Moses know he's just such an introvert that if you want me to go stand in front of an entire court of people and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, I'm going to get a little tongue tied. I don't like speaking in front of big groups of people. (laughs) So either what what is it? Is is it just an excuse? Is it an impediment? Is it fear? Either way, we have some evidence. Acts 7.22 says this, Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was powerful in both speech and action. And as we get further into Exodus, we're going to see Moses be an amazing speaker. So what is it? Is it a physical issue? Is it fear? What we find in the Bible coming up is that neither, regardless of what it is, neither one of them kept Moses from speaking the way God would want him to speak. Meaning, once again, God came through and equipped Moses in a place that he was personally insecure. Moses had legit insecurities about who he was, how he was, but as we move forward, whatever God was doing in him and through him, we don't see that. Either God moved the impediment or God gave him the boldness to overcome his fear. Moses had a very personal concern and insecurity, and God equipped Moses with everything he needed to move beyond it. And that just makes me wonder, what personal concern, what insecurity bubbles up when when you think about going and being called by God and, and maybe opening up and talking to somebody about faith? Immediately, what insecurities come up for you? Immediately, what concerns come up? Do you believe that disqualify you from, from God using you? What causes you to not step out and speak to others about Jesus, about what he has done? Is it fear? Is it something else? Moses had it, and yet God did a mighty work in him and through him. Listen to God's reply about Moses' concern. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it, is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you when you speak. I will instruct you in what to say. Like in your place of your insecurity, I am going to move. Go, I will speak, I will inform you. Notice that God didn't dismiss Moses' excuse, but instead said, I will equip you in it. And there's this saying, you've probably heard it before, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Like God doesn't want you to get everything ready, all the education, to get all the skills, and you're finally ready to go out there and do something for God. He calls people, and then he equips them. In your life, you are called to go and speak to others and and illuminate Jesus and and show your faith and invite them here and invite them into a relationship with with God to to pray for someone, to, to do any number of things he would call you to do. You aren't called to go speak to Pharaoh, but you are called to go speak to your friends and neighbors. You are. God asks us to step out. But you know what? We leave the results to him. We're asked to just step out in faith and let the result of whatever happens up to him. God loves equipping his people with what they need when they need it. Our biggest excuse is, uh, and I hear this all the time, the biggest excuse, I don't know enough. I'm not a pastor like you. I'm not educated. I don't know what to say. And God... He's asking you to step into calling and he will equip you in the ways that you need. 
and his power and his words and his resources go beyond anything any pastor, any educated person could ever come up with. I would rather see God equipping and speaking through somebody who only knows John 3.16 than to have a pastor out there who knows all the answers figured out. We, Moses goes and says things that are amazing. There have been times that God has asked me, and this is oh, so terrifying. I'm in a coffee shop, and he asked me to go pray for somebody who I don't know. Hey, uh, you mind if I pray for you? Like, the, what is that? It, and and I, I'm sitting there, I'm like, and now I'm sweating. Now I'm like, oh, I'm trying to pretend like I'm working, but I'm not typing anything other than no, 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 no. I'm looking up new jobs online. Where can I work? He's asked me to go up, and I, I have followed, <laughs> so embarrassing, I followed this, I followed this um, woman out to her, <laughs> I left bonfire, followed her out to her car and goes, I, I know it's going to sound crazy, but um, I just, God is, you know, I, I just want to know how I can pray for you today. I think you're going through something pretty big. And she goes, you said that? And right out there on Main Street, she told me some stuff. I prayed for her. It was an amazing moment. God gave me the words to say. I mean, it was terrifying. I mean, going to Pharaoh, going to anybody is just terrifying. Another time, there's this story, and I've told this before when, when I was in college, and there was this, this big revival, and, 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 and they had this microphone at the front, and they said, now, we're going to leave the microphone empty, and then we're going to let God move. If anybody feels led to speak, come speak. A whole college chapel. I'm in the back row. And God goes, go speak. What? <laughs> I'm not even a pastor. I'm 18. Oh my gosh. And he goes, go speak. And I'm sitting there praying. I'm like, what, what do I say to the entire chapel of college people? He goes, I'll tell you when you get there. <laughs> what? <laughs> and and you know, you'll remember me telling how I had walked down the aisle and it was the longest walk of my life. Complete dead silence as someone, some 18-year-old freshman was walking in the front of the stage and goes, Walk up to the microphone, and I'll tell you, God gave me in real time at the moment exactly what to say. And it was one of the most amazing nights of my life to see God move. God equips those who he calls when we step out. So Moses is now out of excuses. He's, he's had four excuses, and now he has one final thing. He goes, 13. But Moses then just pleaded, Lord, please, just send anyone else. Now, this is us, you have to admit. Well, God, I, this, who am I? Who are you? Uh, what if they don't accept me? What if it's weird? And then I don't, I'm just, I don't know enough. I don't know what to say. He answers all those, all right, fine. Just send somebody else. <laughs> like, just, God has answered every one of his excuses and protests with promises, power, and provision. And, he, and then Moses, right here, he reveals his greatest weakness. It's not his speaking. It's not his, his ability to, to, to say things. It's his heart. He simply did not want to do it. And this is where I believe, honestly, we find ourselves in some, some ways. We simply don't want to step out in faith in some areas God wants us to. It is far easier, like Moses, to be content with what we have and what we were doing than to step out and risk something else. For Moses, he would rather go back to the menial mission of watching sheep than to partner with God to do something that would change an entire people's, nation's lives for eternity. And I believe we side with Moses on this a lot of times. God, please just choose someone else. 
What was God's response to this? I wanted to address this. Verse 14, then the Lord became angry with Moses. What do we do with this? What do we do with this verse? You know, in church history, there's been a lot of uh, churches who choose to major on God's anger. That God's wrath is actually the largest part of the salvation narrative. Other churches have have tried to, to minor on God's anger and say that he's just too loving to get angry with us. But what do we do with this? Let's look at this word anger. This, this word is the same word used in Genesis for nose when God breathed his breath of life into Adam's nostrils. It's the same word in Genesis for face when Joseph's brothers bowed their faces down. And it's used many times throughout the Old Testament for anger and fury. What it is is it's a word picture. It's a word picture of the flaring of the nostrils in the face. When emotion hits somebody, when, pa- when, the, when their face becomes passionate. And, and I want to just say something here. Our God is not some stony-faced, dispassionate God who sits on a throne with a blank face toward his children. And for that, I'm thankful. He is joy. He is love. And at appropriate times, he is anger. Righteous anger without sin. There is authenticity to his emotion that I like, I love, that he fights for the hurting, that he is angered with injustice, that that he's moved by our pain. God is roused to anger with Moses, but we have to see what God does with it because we read our own anger into it, how we would react. Just smite, fine then. But what does God do? What does God do with this anger, this, this passionate moment, flared nostrils, is Moses who just will not trust him. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said. What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well, and look, he's on his way to meet you now. God had already told Aaron to start the journey toward Moses. Already setting these things up. He'll be delighted to see you. Talk to him. Put the words in his mouth. I'll be with both of you as you speak. I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesperson to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. Take your shepherd's staff with you, and he's to perform miraculous signs I have shown you. It's interesting that God already had Aaron on the way. And then we will see later, Aaron, Aaron actually meets Moses on this journey. Moses, this is what I love about it, Moses, emotionally, knowing that somebody else is in this with him, what does that do? When God asks you to step out, like when you were handing out cards maybe, remember that? And you were with somebody? It was so much easier, wasn't it? I'm so grateful for my wife when we're praying through something about how God wants us to step out in faith as a family or, or to do something. And, and just to know that we are in it together is so comforting. Or the, our, your elder board of the orchard, we have come together and talked about some, some wild dreams that we are praying through for what God's gonna do. And to know that they are together with me means the world. And God gives him this gift. See, God has called Moses and given him everything he needs to accomplish the mission. But what about us, many years later, sitting here now, listening in our cars perhaps? What does this mean for us? Here's where we land. Just like Moses, God is calling you, yes, you, to go forth and speak of what he has done in your life. And the same terror Moses felt, you're going to begin feeling. 
The same resistance and insecurity that he felt, you're going to be feeling. Because Jesus' final words to his disciples is a commissioning for us. And Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, our Savior, says go. Make disciples. That means go and shine the light on Jesus so people can get to know him, so they can come to him. Go to those in bondage and give them freedom. Show them that they're not shackled by their past or their sin, that there is freedom and grace and life and joy. Go, go and make disciples. And do you see what Jesus promises? Did you catch what he promised them? It was the same thing that God promised Moses. Did you catch it? He said, I will be with you. I am with you. When you go out and you speak of me, I am with you. When you go out and talk about what I've done in your life, I go with you. When you invite them, I am with you. Now, like Moses, let's be honest, we're most likely going about our lives without really, truly considering the eternities of those around us. How often do you think about that during the week? Moses probably stopped considering the plight of his people. And we have, at some point, likely don't consider the lives of those around us and their spiritual lives. Like Moses, we are probably pretty settled in the life that we have, in the routine. But like Moses, we have a calling to go to a people and open our mouths about the freedom and the future that Jesus has for them. Like Moses, we are scared when we hear this, and we wish God would choose anyone else. Let's be honest. Like Moses, we feel we don't have what it takes to do this. Let's be honest. And just like Moses, God knows our hearts, he knows our strengths, he knows our weaknesses, and he has promises to be with us in it and through it all. Jesus didn't call you to this because you are equipped and you have it all figured out. He's going to equip you with everything you need as you step into this faith and calling. For some of you, for some of you, this right here is a burning bush reminder that God has called you to take what Jesus has done in you out to other people around you. Because God has made you who you are. He has deployed you where you are. He has surrounded you with the people who are around you that you can speak the words of him to them. And he promised Moses, I will speak through you and I will be with you and I will empower you and I am going with you. See, see but just like Moses, we have five excuses. Who am I? And who are you? Are you really going to be there? And what if they don't accept me? Like, what if it's weird? <laughs> Personal excuse. I'm insecure. I can't speak well. I don't know enough. Whatever it would be. And then finally, just please send anybody else. But Orchard, I want you to know that Jesus has called us and he has commissioned us. And we say that we are a church that takes, takes Jesus at his word. 
You have been called, commissioned, and asked to go. He has promised to be with you. And I believe that God is raising up a church that is just bold enough to believe him and to take what he has done in here, in our heart, and in this room, out to our neighborhoods, our recreation friends, our coworkers, and the people who need him, that they can sit with us at some point and worship Jesus. You have a calling, and the I am is with you. And there are some of you in here today, and you are, are listening along, and you, you are visiting. You don't have this, you don't know if you believe in this whole Jesus thing. I want to just tell you one thing that the I am, the, the God Almighty, Jesus, what, what He promised Moses, He wants to do in your life. He says, I want to be with you. I want you to know that you don't have to be defined by your past ever again. I want to let you know that you don't have to carry your shame with you another day. I'm going to take that from you. The promise of Jesus is this, forgiveness in our past, freedom in our present, and his hope in our future. Not just someday eternal, but like tomorrow. So as we take communion today, it is is the symbol of Jesus' broken body. It is the symbol of his shed blood. And before you take it, I want you to pause and thank him in remembrance for what he's done. Ask him, confess anything you need. Ask his forgiveness. And then ask him to give you boldness to step into the calling he has for you. Because Orchard, God is positioning us as a church. He's positioning you as the church to do a mighty work in this region and wherever you are. Amen.